Well, hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community. Mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. You'll be hearing from Fisher Poets Pat Dixon of Olympia, Washington, John Lee of Long Beach, Washington, and Megan Jervis of Homer, Alaska. This set was recorded at the 1015 Theater on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's the show. Ladies and gentlemen, the man himself, who really doesn't need an introduction, this is one of the people who holds this place together with fingernails and grit and patience and a lot of positive energy. Pat Dixon. Thanks, Brad. I, I just, I supply the, uh, the black tape. That's about it. So, um, I did notice that several people were taking videos of the last folks that were up here. Any, anytime, anything you want to post on Facebook, if you're not already a member of the Friends of Fisher Poets Facebook page, join us uh, and um, please post those videos. It'd be great for people who can't make it to spin. There's a lot of those this tonight, so, so or this weekend. So this is going to push the envelope of my, of my time limit, so I'm going to jump right in. This is written for my first skipper. Um, his name is, was Jim, and, um, and this is called Boat Puller. And, uh, and I was a cook inlet gill netter, and he taught me how to, how to survive on a boat, basically. Um, didn't teach me how to catch fish. That was my own problem. Um, but a boat puller uh, pulls the net on board. Before there were hydraulics, there were boat pullers. And so it's a name for a deckhand. We are alone on the boat, a green deckhand and a middle-aged Norwegian, riding emerald rollers sprinkled with drops of gold in the late afternoon sun. And though you are teaching me how to get a salmon out of the bag without popping the mesh, I am somewhere else. Off the stern, I see myself, neck deep in Indiana, floundering in all those years of not knowing who I was, of how to escape who I had become. Drowning in aching nights, spent hoping for the moment I might know a way to set my feet upon a path of my own. While I'm picking fish with you, stunned at the sight of the sea so near and the mountains filling the western sky, I think of dry Midwestern cornfields and of lost empty days filled with a wish to leave, but nowhere to go. You bend over a red to show me how to use a fish pick, not realizing what is happening to me, how you are stripping away the web of my past life, pulling me through to solid ground. Thank you. So that, that and um, this next one are both from uh, the memoir I wrote and uh, my, at, at my wife's insistence on a way to spend the pandemic in a positive way. And, um, and she was right. So uh, it's called Waiting to Deliver and it is not a pregnancy manual. <laughs> 
This is a true story for my son, Kessler. The connection. The season is winding up, and as my deckhand, I look to you for help. Tomorrow is the first big day, I remark, as we head out to the net rack. We gotta get this gear on and go for groceries. I wanna leave the river tonight. Your face falls, but I haven't noticed. I'm not feeling so good, you answer. I see your scowl. I'm in my skipper mentality, what your mother calls my jerk mode. So I'm quick to assume the worst. The worst. I think you just don't want to work. After all, you're 13, and though you like making money, you'd rather play video games than help out. It's just my first wrong assumption of the day. By the time I chew on that for a while, I'm angry at you. We work the gear in silence. I stew over what to do. I, I need the help, but I don't need the distraction of an attitude. You committed to working for me for the season, and I want to teach you how to live up to your commitments. Isn't that what being a dad is all about? I'm even more upset, and we haven't spoken a word. You go through the motions, but the tension between us is thick. We'll argue this out later, after the nets are on the boat. We drive to the cannery in a thick cloud of dust and silence. Home, hours later, after dinner, I'm starting to pack up. Got your gear together, I ask, knowing you haven't. I don't feel good, you answer from your bed. My stomach hurts, and I've got a headache. Look, I say, walking into your room, I need your help tomorrow. I'm sorry you feel bad, but you promised me that you'd go, go and we need to get going. We have to get out of the river before the tide's too low. You can sleep on the boat. I don't think I can do it, Dad. Your voice rises as you start getting upset. Can't you go? just go without me? No, I answer, my voice getting louder too. I need you tomorrow. I'm counting on you. I walk out of your room and down the hall toward mine. It's going to be a big day, and we really need a third hand to pitch the fish. And that's you. Come on. We don't have time to argue. No, Dad, you yell back at me coming out into the hall. I can't go. I don't feel good. You run back into your room and slam the door. What the hell? I mutter under my breath. I don't have time for this. Your mom, hearing the loud voices, comes down the stairs. What is wrong with him? I start with her. What is he? Hold on a minute, she says in a soft voice. He knows how big a day it is tomorrow. Something else is going on. She heads towards your room. Wait, I say, let me. I walk into your room and see your body under the covers, facing the wall, lights off, shades drawn. Hey, I say, trying to sound calm. What's really going on? Why don't you want to go? I told you I don't feel good. You pull the covers tighter. Leave me alone. Angry all over again, I yell back, proving that I can yell louder. I, I need you tomorrow. Just get dressed and stop this act. Get out of bed now. Come on. I raise my arms in exasperation as I march out of your room and down the hall. Veronica just stares at me as I go by. And then she disappears into your room. I'm angry. I'm embarrassed. 
I'm confused. I throw my clothes into my day bag like they were, like they were trash. I can't believe this. Not, to, not now, not today. I shake my head. Tomorrow is forecasted to be big and could make the difference in how we do for the whole season. It's too late to get anyone else, and I need the help. Why are you doing this? I hear voices come out into the hall. I step in the, into the doorway to see you, tears running down your cheeks in front of your mother. She puts a hand on your shoulder. Go on. Tell him. It's okay. Dad, you say with a look that goes right to my core, I don't want to go. I, I just don't want to do it. You stop for a breath and look down. I can't stand all the killing. And I am no longer in the hallway with you. I'm on the back deck of the first boat I fished on, the North Sea. Fishing my first season as a crew, no longer a 48-year-old skipper with two children, but 27 and as green as can be. And I am watching hundreds of salmon come over the stern, and I am stunned at all the death. Some of the fish will come aboard already dead. Most of them will die soon. Some struggle, some accept it, some are puzzled. Some actually look like they know what's happening and are resigned to their fate. If fish are like people, I think, then it's in this. They seem to die in as many ways as we. But the part that's hardest to accept is that I am partly responsible for their deaths. Confronted with this terrible sense of guilt and shame, I come closer to quitting fishing forever on this day than any other in the next 20 years. My anger and frustration with you melt like spring ice. I understand, I say softly, because suddenly I do. I understand completely. We hug and talk, and I tell you of that day and how I had a hard time with the killing too. I explain the nature of it, how fish, how fish, how, how we are harvesting the source of healthy food just at the fish, as fish are at the end of their lives. You listen, we arrive at a compromise. You nod, so you'll help me with the boat work when we get back to the dock? You nod and look very serious. Yes, that'd be way better. It's a deal. See you tomorrow. I lean over and give you a hug goodnight, standing at the foot of your bed, arms folded. Your mother smiles. younger brother loved killing fish. I, I have no idea how that works, but he never, but Kessler never went fishing with me again, and, uh, and everybody was happier. And I learned a few lessons about being a dad. So this is uh, also a true story about, um, well, it's called Radio Fish. The river mouth is over 20 miles gone when I remember to turn the radio on. Fishing's good here by myself, Chris just said, 
and I finally know which way to head. I saw a boat picking a little east of me, and he had steady fish from what I could see. I turned the wheel to where I know he set out 10 miles south by southwest. I know the route. I plug it into the plotter and push her to the max. The engine responds with a puff of black out the stack. Let me know what, if you see more. Sounds like you got room. I'm heading your way, I say. Should be there soon. We skip on top of the waves, spray flying hard. Got a bone in her teeth, they'd, they'd say back in the yard. At this speed, we'll be there in 30 minutes, 25 to go. But I'm impatient and twitchy, so I keep checking the radio. 15 on the CBs where a decent group hangs out, so I switch it over there and listen to the chatter for a shout from someone whose voice I think I might know and hopefully find a place to set that's good but closer to go. And on he comes. Seen a few up and down the line, he says, but the hooks where they're hidden looks like they're heading west. Damn, I know that guy. I grab my coffee and take a drink. I just passed him. He's, he's north of me, I think. Maybe five minutes back, the way we just came. I better check with Chris and see if it's still the same. I turn the dial, pick up the microphone. Hey, Excalibur, I say. Still getting hits there all alone? No answer. Probably picking fish like mad. But Rich comes back and, ooh, he sounds sad. Yeah, Pat, I see Chris picking his gear. and He's got a lot of fish just east of me here. Well, what about you, Rich? I ask him back. Are you seeing much now that the tide's gone slack? No, Pat, not a single hit since I laid her out. I sigh in frustration and twist the wheel about. Well, let me know if you see something in the next little while, I say. There's, there's a call back behind me, up north about a mile, so I'm turning around and going to head that way. Sounds good. I'll keep in touch. Okay. I run north, grit my teeth, and shake my head. We left the river late. Should have been early instead. If I hadn't started slow and set the net when I should have at opening, I wouldn't be doing this, I bet. My deckhand's start, starting to wonder if I'm coked up or juiced. We're running down the middle of the wake we just produced. Hey, Pat, Rich says brightly as I race the other way. Starting to see some action here. Best I've seen all day. Oh, my God, I scream. And, and I twist the wheel about with a yank to starboard, and we're heading back south. <laughs> Thanks, Rich, I answer. I guess I'm heading back toward you. I swear under my breath and look over my shoulder at my crew, and he knows not to utter a word. His skipper has lost it. it this has gotten absurd. So he busies himself on deck with a bucket and a nut and tries to ignore what he knows I forgot. But I'm caught up in it now. And I, so I can't help but wonder what's on channel 15. And I know, I know. I switch the radio over. 200 in that last shackle, I hear a voice begin. And I'm out west a mile from the fleet you're in. I look to the west and sure enough, there's a boat out there. But is it the same guy I'm listening to? Oh, God, this isn't fair. Thanks, buddy, I hear the northern boat say. That's pretty good, but I think I'll stay over here. We're not doing too bad, and I'd hate to spend the day running around like mad. Oh, he said it. Oh, I scream and grab my head. The boat roars on. I should be fishing instead. I bounce again on the waves of my own wake with precision. I'm stuck in a whirlpool, a vortex of my own indecision. The guys near me must wonder if I know what to do. I'm running around in circles like I haven't got a clue. Like an automaton, I check the channels and Chris is back on, talking to Gary. 
That rip was starting to suck something hairy, he says, but we got it all back, over 400 on that. I'm setting it out again before the end of the slack. Holy crap, that's right, I think. I need to get set before the tide turns. They'll show then, I bet. I'm east of you, on a little rip over here, Gary answers, all alone in the clear, I mean in the clear side of a clear muddy streak. And it's sure looking good, best show I've seen all week. What? East? Where are you, Gary? I cut in. Can you see me at all up north, running? I see a boat up there, Chris answers first. Are you balls to the wall, heading west for all you're worth? <sighs> no. I'm heading south, I whine, completely defated, deflated. This fishing with radios ain't all it's rated to be when it's all done and said. You've got to be smarter than the voice in your head. Oh, no, that's not you, Chris says with a sigh. I sag, feel hollow. I don't have a reply. Which way do I go, I think? Pick a direction or pull the plug and step off and swim away while she sinks. Chasing radio fish is driving me insane. <sighs> I take a breath, reach up, and turn the radio off again. Let her go here, I yell out the door and take her out of gear. I can't do this anymore. Thank God, my crew yells as he pe peels the net off the reel. And later, as we actually catch fish, I start to feel better and calmer. I like the silence just fine. This is what we should have been doing the entire time. We leave the radio off for the rest of the day, have, play cribbage, have lunch, and catch fish that way. Day's, the day's lesson is this. I found myself burned by radio fish and way too many turns. I don't know much, but on this one I'll bet you can't catch fish if your net's not wet. Thank you, Ray. Next up, we have John Lee, born in Astoria in 1950. He's lived in 50 states and 40 countries, and now he's back home, lives in Long Beach, and we are blessed to have him up here tonight. We've gotten a little taste in the last hour. Uh, and we get a little bit more now, so welcome John Lee. Hey, this is the best, I've played this thing many times, and this is the best venue I have been in here, man. And uh, it's a listening room. I love this place, and I, I like it. And Nikki here is just, is there, is there a patch cord for the, you know? Do you, you have a cord, Robbie? You got a cord? You got a cord range cord? We're in search of the lost cord. Um, Nikki here has done a great job on this room, and I'm really honored to be up here with these people. We still need a cord. Yeah, I need a cord. I don't care. I'll just use this. Huh? Oh. Nikki's cord? Okay. And... Um, I do a lot of this stuff, and uh, is, I will say that um, 
I could play, this is sounds like kind of a funny thing to say, but I could play and have played with much better musicians than these guys, but I can't play, I've never played with better people than these guys, and that means a lot more to me than, all right, you know? Well, that's what you get with seasonal workers, John. You know, seasonal workers, you know? Because like over here on bass is my dear first cousin, Mr. Robbie Law. He is an Astoria native here. And um, I said once to him something about Astoria High School or Astoria, he goes, I said, but you're born here. You're like valedictorian of Astoria High School. He goes, yeah, but I moved to Astoria in the third grade, so I'm an outsider, you know? From Warrington, okay? <laughs> and Scotty here, and we know about Scotty. He's got the cred. And, uh, and back here is Mr. Spud Siegel, mandolin mando, and the, uh, also a great trumpet player. And uh, in truth, I'm kind of an imposter because I'm gathering here with the Fisher Poets of highest order, and I'm a carpenter songwriter of questionable merit. But I know how to expand my bandwidth, and what you do is you surround yourself by credibility. Real cannery worker, slime guy over there, real Alaska fisherman, real, you're working for Noah these days. Running a, yeah. Now he's counting fish. Okay. Are we ready here? This, 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 I'm not getting a, my guitar coming through there? Okay. Theme. I'll just tell you our theme. Our theme is maritime mucus membranes. Ready? place. If you're lucky in life, make a deep connection, special people. What's this feedback? Where's that coming from? I'm sorry, I gotta stop this. Where's our feedback coming from? Is, it, is that that mic or? Okay, that, that would drive me crazy. Okay, okay we got that. Thank you. 
rusty shovel. It was my father's. I watched him use it when I was a boy. Well, he dug hard to fill our buckets with a bounty of love, mollusks, and joy. My father's gone now, but he still guides me. He's still my father. I'm still his son. I'll do my best and fill my bucket till the tide comes in. what mollusks are basically made of, you know, and um, that and a healthy dose of malic acid. And um, this song here is often misinterpreted, so I want to clarify this song, okay? Because sometimes people think this song has certain associations with other saline, sensuous, oral pleasures. But this song is about mollusks. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. A poem of passion. 
instrumental in the making of that garden the surging waves and um, there was and there was thousands and thousands of Chinese workers here for a long time and um, now there's basically the a few laws a few leaves 
the lungs. How many people drive a car from the lungs, right? They're, they're, they're still hanging on here. But um, <clears throat> that's how I got in this little show here years ago. So anyway, um, this song's called Slime Line. And I did this song at the Bellingham Sea Feast a few years ago, and this couple comes up to me afterwards, and they go, you played our song. <laughs> and I go, really? Which one? She goes, Slime Line. No, that's not too many people's song, you know? <laughs> and she goes, we met on the Slime Line up in Ward Cove years ago, and we're still together. <laughs> that's great. She says, I want that song, so. Light sheen of silver, the murky greenish brown. When the fleet moved out, there would be no doubt. When the fleet came in, we'll be working again. Working on the line, yeah, we're working all the time. Working overtime on that slime line. Working on the line, yeah, we're working all the time. Working overtime on that slime line. the Chinese cannery workers. So uh, put them all out of business. And so in their honor, in their industrial graciousness, they named the machine the Iron Chink. Now that's a word that might have gotten me and somebody beat up when I was a kid. Although, in truth, that would have been me in the end that might have gotten beat up. But I wouldn't have let it go. But you see, I've come to embrace that word. Because, you see, there's no iron Italian. There's no iron Irishman. Sorry to my Asian brethren, but there's no feral Filipino. It's an iron chink. And I'm going to make that my superhero name. <laughs> you see, this is going to be Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, and the Iron Chink. Now, I just got to figure out what my superpowers are, though.
the crew. My daddy works the pier. What do we do? This is why we're here. And the salmon moved on. The cannery shut down. And the family clams all left this town. No more working on the line. No more working all the time. No more working overtime on that slime line. No more working on the line. No more working overtime. No more working overtime on that slime line. Slight sheen of silver with that murky greenish brown. When the fleet moved out, there would be no doubt. When the fleet came in, we'll be working again. Working on the line, yeah, we're working all the time. Working overtime on that slime line. Working on the line, yeah, we're working all the time. Working overtime on that slime line. Working overtime on that slime line. Yeah, yee, yeah, yeah. trying to avoid that one. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. What a mess you guys made. So needy. So needy. So needy. Can I have another chord? Do you have something else? It was worth it, wasn't it? That was amazing. So blessed to be here. Um, got another a, a person coming up here. Uh, I'm happy to uh, introduce, met her this evening, uh, all the way from here, from Homer, Megan Gervais. And as I said, makes her home in Homer in the winter. Uh, in summer, she skippers Bristol Bay, drift boat fisherman. Let's welcome Megan. Got lots of mics. Okay. Get that stand here. All right. Uh, thank you for the warm introduction, Megan Gervais. Um, I'm a greenhorn here at the Fisher Poets. Um, I read last night, but um, I was thinking today about my first year running my boat, and before I went fishing for the first time for months, I just worried about the first time, not that I would make a set, but the first time I would tie up at a tender. I just was terrified, because uh, I'd never had before. I'd just been a deckhand before, and the person I had fished with, um, never let me drive the boat except, you know, f like out in the open. So I just, I knew I was going to like crunch, I call it munch crunch, where like the sound of fiberglass on metal is a really sad sound. Um, anyway, so that was, that's what I worried about before um, my first year fishing. And, and that first tender tie-up actually worked out okay. And there were 
subsequent munch crunches that happened, but not on that first one. And um, last night I read the things and it all worked out okay. There, there wasn't a munch crunch, um, but I'm just inspired to be here around all of these amazing poets and musicians and um, hopefully some of it will rub off on me. Um, <laughs> All right, um, this is a, a poem about all the things that um, get broken on boats and that we have to fix. Backlash on opening set, the sickening ripping of web made a whale-size hole in the net. We can fix it. Stretch it over the back deck, corks hooked over the port cleat, lead line looped over the fair lead, trim the flap, Koozie it up. Won't be perfect, just good enough. It'll fish. Often the fix is easy, just a loose electrical connection or fuel. Change the raycore and the engine roars back to life. For the leaky hydraulic hose, we have a spare. Look under the port side bunk. For the toughest bolt to break free, try two drops of penetrating oil and a cheater bar on the biggest wrench mallet coercion, and put the heat to it. Work smarter, not harder. Add a few choice words and some blood from your knuckles. For non-moving parts, don't underestimate the value of marine adhesive, well chosen and carefully applied to make it as good as new. No, it's better than new. It's custom, <laughs> and it'll fish. It is perhaps 10 times more work to fix anything on anchor than in the yard, and 50 times harder to fix it when it's blowing west 25 and the bilge ate your 3 8 wrench and you're days away from parts, and you haven't slept more than 2 and 24 in who knows how long. But some repairs cannot be anticipated. The components concealed within their dark steel housings, and even if we ply them with the proper lubricant at regular intervals, they occasionally give up at inconvenient moments. Like the shorn spline shaft on the hydraulic pump that quit mid-set during the peak of the run while we were drifting toward the breakers with a heavy net. That was an expensive one, not just in parts, but missed fishing. Some fixes require eight hours on the phone, standing in the rigging, troubleshooting, and ordering parts while in sideways rain the signal keeps dropping. Sorry deckhands scan the tender lines to see what we aren't delivering. The next plane is when? Some things are beyond repair. Electronics eaten by salt water, that black pipe fitting on the bronze washdown pump just crumbled in my hand. That did teach a lesson about galvanic corrosion and dissimilar metals. Combinations destined for dysfunction. Won't repeat that mistake. I am held together by splash zone, zip ties, black tape, hose clamps, the spare scrap of busted buoy, and hanging twine hitched back upon itself over and over again for strength. And a bit of 4200 thrown in for good measure. Not the prettiest fix, but functional. 
Every repair tells the story of itself. A knot correctly tied can fix many things and can, for a time, even hold together the broken parts of broken hearts. The better fix takes a little more doing. Untie the lines and point the boat to sea. Apply wind, sky, and northern latitudes. Withhold sleep and top off the hydraulic and fuel tanks. Then bring on the salmon. Won't ever be like new, but it'll fish. So I have another kind of serious one, but I don't want to fool you that I'm like a serious person because I'm not totally serious. So I'm going to just kind of switch gears and um, I'm going to read this poem that my, um, my child wrote when they were nine. Rubus is now 11 and um, I asked their permission to read this. We collaborated on it a little bit, but mostly it was written by my kid, um, kind of the cadence comes from a children's book that we read a lot. But um, my, I'm lucky enough to have my kids fish with me and the biggest um, pleasure and challenge of my life is how to mix the two worlds of being a mother and being a fisherman. Um, and I was lucky enough on this trip to have my son come meet me here. He lives in Bellingham. He's grown and tall and a man. Um, and he drove all the way here to meet me. And um, so that was lovely. He stayed for my set last night, but I think he disappeared so I can talk about him a little more now um, without him blushing too much. But um, anyway, Rubus is my 11-year-old and um, they wrote this. It's called Boat Kids. Out on deck, every set, they're ready. Head on, gloves on, boots on, working steady. Picking fish, getting splashed, and it's blowing west 20. They don't care because they want their money. Hold the flashlight, run for tools, run the hydros sometimes. Tie it up, let it go. Yeehaw, grab the line. Watch a nine-year-old outwork grown men. They'll show you how it's done and be in bed by 10. <laughs> One kid on corks, one kid on leads. They make it look easy, cause it is, they said. Sriracha on their carrots, Legos out, work done. Swimming every day at sunset in the sun. maintenance like is that what happens when you're a musician you just get to be high maintenance you got to move everything around well the thing about a uh, ukulele is that it's a great boat instrument I just started playing uh, three or four years ago um, because this is the perfect size instrument to fit on a boat and um, I started out playing like this like two chord songs 
and it drove my deckhands crazy, but it was really just kind of soothing before openers to have like music right here, like a, an instrument, like it's right here by your heart and it makes you feel more calm. Like sometimes in Bristol Bay, right before we, you know, we're making the opening set and there's boats everywhere and you've got to find your spot and you know, it's, it's tense. You're like trying to stay right on top of the fish and I would just play, I would play this song. song. So I, I modified the words a little bit and we changed it to Nushagak Saka, show me the way. Nushagak Saka, got something to say. Look you in the eye, fish don't lie. Nushagak Saka, voodoo, 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 voodoo. Fish old friend, fish I'd say. You're the best fish that ever laid an egg. Sometimes with that um, and I, I would just to see if I could get my son to roll his eyes but he's not here so I won't do that I'll just um, go into the, the song that I wrote this is the first song that I wrote I've mostly just played other people's songs but then coming here I thought I would give it a try um, and this is called set the net so a little background on um, on this song I wrote a couple of lines to it a couple of years ago and then um, I just, this little piece of paper turned up in a, one of the 12 different journals that I have. Um, and it was just like these lines to this country song. And this winter has kind of been like a country song to me because, um, my mom died and my Subaru died and my computer died and like lots of trouble. And I was like, man, it's kind of, my life is kind of like a country song. So, um, I figured I'd better just write one. Um, it's not quite a country song, but it is about when everything is going wrong on the boat. And then you just go fishing anyway. Right. So just bear with my, like, uh, it's hard act to follow. Like, all these professional musicians, like, uh, you know, I'm a greenhorn. So just, yeah, you got this. Okay. <laughs>
That was Fisher Poets Pat Dixon, John Lee, and Megan Jervis, recorded at the 1015 Theater in Astoria, Oregon, on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to thefisherpoetryarchive at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she go.